0: Welcome to the Oxford Undergraduate Law Podcast, where we discuss the law and its implications on our relationships, our markets, and our futures. I'm Siobhan. And I'm Bianca, and we're your hosts for this series. Today, we are extremely honoured to have Professor Mark Lemley on our podcast to discuss his recent thesis that the internet is being splintered along national borders. Professor Lemley is the William H. Newcomb Professor of Law at Stanford Law School and the Director of the Stanford Program in Law, Science and Technology. He is the author of eight books and 181 articles, and his works have been cited 290 times by courts, including 15 times by the United States Supreme Court, and more than 17,000 times in books and law review articles. This makes him the most cited scholar in IP law and one of the foremost cited legal scholars of all time. Not only has Professor Lemley made his mark in the academic world, he's also a founding partner of Tangri and a founder of Lex Machina, a startup company that provides litigation data and analytics to law firms, companies, courts and policymakers.
1: So thank you, Professor Lemley, for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and we're so excited to discuss the future of the Internet with you. Uh, to start off, and just in general terms, could you tell us a little bit about how the use of the internet has evolved from its birth to today?
2: Well, that's a that's a broad question. I, I mean, um, I think there are uh, there are a couple of sort of phases to it. The internet starts out as a sort of government research project, and then a sort of government academic collaboration. Um, and I think the significant kind of sort of changes we start to see in the 1990s uh involve both opening it up to the private sector uh, so that everyone's free to have access to this information and then uh the development of the World Wide web in 1993 right which allows a single kind of resource to uh to access the various kinds of information that had been available to to individual researchers and once that starts you've got a Uh, a tool that anyone can use to put uh, almost any sort of information out there uh, to the world. What information gets developed, what information gets shared, you know, that's in part a function of kind of bandwidth, uh, uh, computers get more sophisticated, Uh, there wasn't a lot of video uh, 30 years ago, right now there's a lot of, of video of kind of online games and that sort of thing, but but the basic principle, I think, gets developed early on and then sort of set by the, by the early 1990s, which is anybody can join, anybody can put anything they want on it, and we use a very simple protocol, uh, and anyone's free to access that information. So
1: how have nations reacted to this increased global connectedness that the internet
2: supports? So, you know, I think um, uh, in many respects, of course, we celebrate it. Uh, The United States in particular, right, has been a kind of uh, a driving force behind this for many years, Uh, but from a very early point, nations have always also wanted to regulate it or to limit it, right? And uh, that's been especially true of repressive governments, right, who um, fear the very thing that makes the Internet great, right? The fact that you can see how the rest of the world is uh, living and thinking. Um, But it hasn't always been repressive governments. I mean, every government's got some kinds of things that they would prefer not to be on the Internet. Uh, And so there have always been efforts to try to regulate um, either what's on the internet at all, or at least what their own citizens can see.
1: And so you argue that the internet will soon face its demise. Can you pinpoint one or two causes attributable to this splintering of the internet?
2: Right. I I hope it's not the demise of the internet. I don't, I don't want to sound catastrophic. I mean, I think the, um, the internet provides an enormous amount of value, and I think it's going to continue to do so. I think what's really changing is the benefits of that openness uh, and generativity uh, are increasingly being replaced uh, by a kind of different uh, form of, of online interconnection. And I think there are a couple of aspects to that, right? One is a private aspect. So. Um, With the rise of cell phones, we started to move more and more of our time and attention away from the open internet and towards walled gardens that are controlled and mediated by device makers. Um, So Apple has substantial control over what I do, what I see, what I use. If I have an iPhone, uh, Google imposes somewhat less control, but but still substantial control on, on Android devices and the like. And then we've coupled that with an increased willingness of governments, including uh, most of the democratic governments, uh, to try to regulate uh, what people see online. And part of that is a reaction, I think, to very real problems, right? To the uh, concentration of power in the hands of a few private companies, to the evidence that some of the algorithms we use uh, end up promoting disinformation or extremist speech in ways we don't like. Um, but part of it, I think, also is a is a react- is an amplification of the kind of same instinct we saw from the beginning in the 1990s, right? Uh, governments would prefer that there not be uh, certain kinds of information out there, and every government's got a different definition of what that is. And so as we're both sort of privately uh breaking the internet into these walled gardens i think we're also um kind of making it easier for governments to step in and say hey you private actor need to make sure that this sort of information doesn't reach our citizens on uh, on your site um and as We move from a world in which there are millions of sites from which people get their information to a world in which only a few companies end up kind of processing a large amount of that information. Those central choke points become ways in which individual governments can say, we want our citizens not to experience the full Internet, but to see sort of something different that we have control over.
1: So if we were to fast forward and the internet does indeed splinter what would our lives look like um how would this change our use of Google Facebook Amazon um these internet service providers
2: Yeah so it's an interesting question I mean I think one uh, one answer uh, kind of stems from the premise of the question right which is it may well be that if you use Google, Amazon, Facebook, um, that's an indication that you're in one of a kind of a a small and decreasing number of countries. Uh, So one of the ways in which we've seen the splintering is that a number of countries have either uh, uh, announced their intention to develop their own internet entirely, uh, as Brazil did under Bolsonaro, um, uh, or Uh, mandated or required the use of local um, uh, technologies over which they can exercise control, as China does and as Russia is increasingly doing. Uh, So one way in which we're going to see that splintering take effect is not just I can't find everything I want uh, or everything that's out there that's relevant to me. Uh, if it's from a foreign country uh, but i might not even have access to the tools and intermediaries that people in other countries do uh, because one way to control the information flow is to control those tools and intermediaries so i think that's one difference you know the other difference i think of a splintered internet is um uh is that um uh, we will increasingly just kind of not have access to the same information, uh, right? That, um, you know, whether, even if it's the same company, the Facebook or a Google, right? The information it gives you in response to a search request, right? May differ depending on what country you're in. That, that happens already. Europe has a right to be forgotten that allows uh, people to basically have information they don't like about them uh, taken off of the internet, even though it's truthful. Uh, many countries ban certain types of information, but I think we'll see more and more of it, right? So uh, that you, I, you can't go search for uh, a fact about the world and have any confidence that the information you will receive in response is the same information that someone in another country will receive.
1: And how will this splintering impact the monopolies that currently dominate um, the tech market? Um, Would we see a breakup of these companies or national internets come up in each jurisdiction?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I I mean, I think on the one hand, you are more likely to see kind of national um, uh, companies, right? And China, which is sort of maybe the furthest along in basically building its own, you know, the great firewall to try to to keep uh, uh, information it doesn't like out, has built its own ecosystem of companies, Right, which sometimes end up playing in the, in the rest of the world, often through subsidiaries, right? TikTok is a subsidiary of a Chinese company, for instance, uh, but often have um, uh, just a, uh, an amazing amount of sort of power and market share in China and very little anywhere else. Um, and I think we may see more and more of that, right? Uh, and not just in large countries like China, but, but kind of smaller entities, too. And so in that sense, you know, there's a a way in which that deconcentrates the industry. It's not everyone in the world uses Facebook, right? It's um, people in our country use X social media and people in a different country use Y social media. I mean, ironically, I think, um, and I know we're going to talk about sort of what we might try to do about this. I do think one of the problems that has made this both possible and increased the demand for splintering has been the dominance of a few tech firms. And so I think, um, uh, you know, I think we'd be better off in a world in which we had multiple players, but where those players were not, individual country specific and beholden to the governments, right? But a kind of vibrant competitive market in which I could choose from sort of multiple different search engines, right? Or multiple different, um, uh, uh platforms, uh, for which to, uh, to buy my goods and, and services.
1: So what is splintering, um, uh, allow governments to make their national internets beholden to them or. Do you expect that that's going to be the result or the reaction that governments
2: give? I right. I think that um, right. If we see a splintering on national lines, I think that's right. It's much easier for a government to control um, uh, a local company than it is to control a company that's based elsewhere. I, you know, it's certainly not impossible to control companies outside your jurisdiction, and lots of governments have sought. Worldwide injunctions, for instance, right? Google must take this information down, not only in Europe, but everywhere. Um, uh, but, uh, but I think especially with smaller countries, it's hard for you know, a, a Malaysia or even a Turkey uh, to sort of impose its will on the rest of the world. Uh, and so, you know, when Malaysia says, hey, we don't like the fact that people are exposing the corruption of our government on Medium, um, uh, take all that stuff down, Medium can just say no, right? Because most of their customers aren't in Malaysia, right? If the, if the information is all coming through a local site uh, where most of our customers are in Malaysia, our employees are in Malaysia and they could be arrested, Uh, They're much more likely to do whatever the government tells them to do. Um, So I think in that respect, right, a kind of nationalized uh, Internet companies are much easier to control. If you get beyond nationalization, maybe the maybe the um, uh, the importance of concentration reverses itself. Right. Uh, the hardest thing to control is the internet circa the 1990s, where everybody's got their own website. I don't know where they are. They could be anonymous, right? Um, and um, uh, and so I could try to shut down one page, but I'm not going to be able to shut down kind of all of the information, right? That's the internet. Um, right, about which uh, uh, John Gilmore famously said, right, it, it interprets censorship as damage and routes around it, right? If you have multiple different people and you can't kind of shut them all down, information can still propagate itself. If you've got one company, right? If, if all the information that people, from which people are getting their kind of news sources uh, come from Facebook, for instance, um well facebook has a lot of power and countries may not be able to shut down facebook but they might be able to shut off facebook right or to bar it from entering the country and therefore get a lot more effective control over information coming from outside so i think we want more and more diverse sources of information but we don't want them to be kind of beholden to each individual country
1: so i think you've mentioned this a little bit um previously in the previous questions but If we were to rewind to the present and um, would, how do you see, do you see any feasible way of preventing this splintering? Um, Because it does seem sort of like an inevitable consequence of sovereignty and the difficulties with international cooperation.
2: Yeah, it's a hard problem. And I, and I think at some level, right, you know, we have, we can't prevent governments from sort of wanting to assert their interests and their sovereignty. And, and, you know, for some for some issues, at least, we probably shouldn't prevent all of that. Um, but I do think there are ways we can make it sort of harder, make it less effective to try to censor the Internet, to try to splinter it into international uh, uh, subgroups. Um, one of those which we've just started to talk about is deconcentration. Right? I think that both some of the demands to regulate the internet uh, 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 tech giants uh, and some of the ease with which you could do it come from the fact that they are so uh, large and centralized. Right, we're in in a situation in which sort of, you know, in the United States and I think in in Europe as well, um, you know, a few companies not only sort of control half or more of uh, sort of all of our access to information and the and the things we use on a daily basis, but that they're the same companies that were controlling that information ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and that's really unprecedented. Right? Um, I, I, the fact that those companies have so much power over our lives, I think motivates uh, some of the government's desire to kind of rein them in, to regulate them. It means that people are more okay with government stepping in to impose some regulation um, uh, because they don't feel like they have a choice. So I think one thing we could do is to try to uh, drive that choice, right? Um, I think antitrust law has a significant role to play, maybe not in breaking up tech companies, but in trying to make sure that they don't replicate themselves, shut down startups that might come up to compete with them. Uh, And maybe also uh, in allowing or driving interoperability, uh, allowing people to come take their data from Facebook, take their social graph and their network uh, and connect it to a different uh, and maybe more privacy protective group. Uh, or a group that shares different values or that regulates content differently. Um, Allowing those things, opening up competition in the uh, market is, you know, I don't think it's going to solve all of the problems, but it might both reduce the incentive of some governments, particularly Western democracies, uh, to try to regulate. uh, And it might also, uh, as we said earlier, make it a little harder uh, for them to regulate. Another thing that I think we could do, right, is to try to promote uh, tools that allow the uh, subversion of some aspects of those regulation, right? So, um, uh, encryption, uh, end-to-end encryption, uh, blockchain, um, and uh, uh, virtual private networks, right, are all mechanisms by which people who Don't have access to a free source of information in their country uh, might be able securely and or anonymously to get access to that information, either to get information out to the rest of the world or to bring information in. Not surprisingly, governments like to regulate those technologies, too, um, uh, but Uh, To the extent we can fight back uh, on those efforts to regulate, right, we might create an infrastructure that makes it easier to interpret censorship as damage and route around it to allow people to get information out about uh, uh, Arab Spring uprisings, for instance, uh, or what's going on in Iran, uh, or the like.
1: Today, um, at least the trend in the EU and the UK has been to claw back on a lot of the immunities, the blanket immunities that were offered to internet service providers. And um, I would argue that this potentially um, limits the ability of startups to actually flourish in the tech market. So how would you say, um, how would you propose promoting um, competition in this ecosystem?
2: Yeah, I do think it's a problem, right? Content moderation is a really hard problem. Uh, I mean, there is a lot of bad stuff on the Internet, right? And even apart from the question of whether the governments or or any particular government should be in the business of deciding whether that stuff belongs on the Internet, somebody needs to moderate it, right? Um, And the big tech companies recognize this. Um, Facebook takes down something like 2 billion fake accounts a year. Um, and both Facebook and Google employ more than 10,000 people each, basically just reviewing contested posts and deciding whether to leave them up or take them down. There's a lot of content regulation, content moderation that's going on right now. Even in a world in which they're not legally required to do so. Right? Uh, as you know, one of the risks of creating a legal requirement to do so is right the next a uh, social media company, right? The next Google can't afford to hire ten thousand people uh, as a startup to to go make sure they're going to take that information down. And it's worth noting, right that even with an enormous amount of effort at uh, weeding out uh, bad content, disinformation, hate speech, and the like, there's plenty of it still on the internet. Right. And plenty. So um, it's not as though invest in hiring 10,000 people and you'll have taken down all the bad stuff and and kept up all the good stuff. Um, You might make things somewhat less worse than they would be if you, you know, didn't do that. So I do worry that um, regulations, which, you know, often, frankly, come down to some version of take down all the bad stuff, but leave up all the good stuff, right, are are impossible to comply with. Um, and so they impose a very real costs on all companies. Big companies can afford to pay that cost. Small companies can't. Um, but they also give, I think, the governments a lot of power because since it is impossible really to comply with it, uh, the government can always say, well, we're going to fine you or we're going to shut you down because you failed to comply with this uh, uh, with this rule. One of the interesting things that's uh, been going on in the United States, the, um, uh, the main immunity rule here, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, uh, is under fire from all sides of the political spectrum here. Uh, everybody agrees we should get rid of this immunity, modify it, reform it, But when you look at what it is that people actually want, they want not just different, but diametrically opposed things. Uh, And the Democrats say there's too much misinformation and hate speech on the Internet. And uh, we should hold people liable for that. So the company will take down more uh, misinformation and hate speech. The Republicans say the opposite. The Republicans say uh, we are disadvantaged by existing tech company moderation. And so we want a rule that says you can't take anything down. Uh, uh, because that's hurting us. I, I have I have views on kind of which of those uh, approaches is uh, is more plausible. Um, but the fact that while people want to regulate kind of content moderation, but they want to regulate it in opposing ways, right, means I think that you're never going to satisfy everybody. Um, you know one of the one of the real benefits we got out of these immunities right was the development of an ecosystem where people could say and post whatever they wanted i think that has downsides and i think we need to figure out ways to confront those downsides uh, but i think giving the government control over what information it's okay to post and not okay to post particularly giving every different government control over that is not the answer
1: Do you see like you talked about blockchain before as a potential tool to to remedying the splintering? Um, Could you see a sort of blockchain style, uh, just decentralized ledger um, as a substitute for the Internet?
2: Maybe. I mean, I think, you know, one so one problem is kind of uh, how much does it scale for multiple transactions? Right. I mean, one of the blockchain is useful for a lot of things, but it is an energy and time intensive uh, process. Um, so what, what seems to me to be useful uh, is uh, some form of kind of strong end-to-end encryption, um, and then blockchain can be a, a backup support for that because it might allow you to sort of have a uh, persistent identifiable identity, Um that can be verified, but that doesn't necessarily trace to a real world person the government can come and arrest. right? So if you could have a persistent pseudonym and that pseudonym could engage in conversations, engage in financial transactions, uh, and we could be confident that, that the person was the same person I was talking to last week, right? I think a lot of the benefits of, of online communication uh, are possible right without having to um uh sort of verify everyone's identity that also i think allows for more accountability right a kind of truly anonymous throwaway gmail address people can come troll uh they get canceled they get kicked off facebook but they're back in 30 seconds with a different address um uh having people have persistent pseudonymity i think means you could be held to account for uh, lies that you tell for hate speech for various violations of various laws, um, uh, at least online. Uh, but we wouldn't necessarily trace you to uh, uh, to a real person.
1: Now I can't imagine um, living in a world without the internet um, as we have it today. Perhaps because I've always lived in a world with the internet. Um, do you think that there would be ever be a societal want or need? Um that allows internet service providers to sort of supersede nation sovereignty and become a self-regulating entity in and itself.
2: Yeah, so it, it's interesting, right? in the early days of the internet, right and in this kind of broad decentralized uh, view, a lot of the kind of early theorists talked about the idea of the internet as a separate jurisdiction um, and um, and in part i think that was the kind of sense that we were doing something new but also that we were doing something in a new in a in a kind of way and in a, a space a conceptual space that didn't interact that much with the with the real world i think it's hard to imagine that today and i think one of the reasons it's hard to imagine it today is precisely uh, what you suggested right none of us can live without the internet Right. And uh, and so one of the reasons governments are more interested in regulating uh, is that the things you do on the Internet do connect to uh, and maybe even constitute your real life in some sense that wasn't true 30 years ago. So I can't imagine we're going to go back to the idea that the sort of Internet is its own space uh, and we can leave it alone because it's not going to leave us alone. Because it's going to affect, right, how we obtain our goods, how we, uh, uh, you know, get or don't get credit, um, uh, how people talk about us, think about us, uh, can we vote, and I think that's just going to become more rather than less prevalent. Um, so I, you know, I don't think that we, I don't think the internet sort of should be its own jurisdiction, um, but I do think that the fact that it crosses jurisdictional boundaries is something that governments have to take into account. And I think we don't want to lose that sort of very special benefit uh, of the Internet by kind of splintering it.
0: That was Professor Lemley speaking with us on the Splinternet. For more interesting legal discussions and writings, visit the LJ's blog and read our annual publications. Tune in next week for Forgiveness in the Law with Professor Martha Minow.